This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Swarovski Optic. Thank you, Sitka Gear and Swarovski Optic, for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. All right, here we are. So, Rensmeg, what were you calling this? The Drink and Thinking Podcast? We're doing the Drink and Thinking Podcast, yeah. All right, so, well, I'm going to start off. I, I, uh, I, well, first of all, what do we got there? Um, what, what are you uh, suckling on there, Mr. Wenham? I am drinking Termana tequila, which is the, the Rocks brand of tequila as of right now. Okay, all right. I'm a tequila okay. boy. All right. Renz Mag, what do you got? Uh, I'm just uh, sipping on some Grey Goose and juice. Oh, wow. That's uh, that's very uh, sophisticated, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> you got a Bud Light going on the side there as well, buddy, or what? Just one. I, uh, I wish. No. One of the new cans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I picked up, um, I thought, you know, an homage to the species. I got the Chadwick going here, so a little bit of whiskey. Which, by the way, that's sold out. It's gone now, so you can't get any more. Anyone that wanted some of our our single malt whiskey that we ran, um, ran, it's gone now. So there's none left, except we have a few bottles left at auction for down the road. Perfect. But that just means you need to run more next time. Yeah, that's true. Solid. Yeah, for sure. Bigger batch. Yeah. Small batch yeah. will become medium batch. Yeah. So well, let's start off with a little toast here. I think it's appropriate that... Uh, we do a toast to the 2023 President Award winner. To you, Nolan, congratulations, my friend, and thank you for all you do. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Okay, so there's tons of stuff we can talk about, but um, we just got together so we could drink and look at each other on the screen, right? I will say that I, I A, look grayer, but I do look older and sexier in person. So <laughs> we'll, we'll both vouch for that. Perfect. <laughs> Awesome. Now, I, I guess the big thing tonight we wanted to, so you just got back from South Africa and uh, this has been three years in the making. You've been trying to put things together um, on this African hunt and uh, you, Greg's, you know, really, I guess, in the loop on this, having hunted with uh, the same guy that you've been hunting with in Africa there. So yep. we're going to talk a little bit about your trip to Africa. So let's back it up. Nolan and talk about uh, why you didn't go on your trip a few years back. Uh, well, there was a multitude of people that decided that the um, the world needed to shut down at that time. So this culminated right back. The original start of this trip was about four years ago. And like anybody that is an avid hunter and conservationist, the dream is to hunt Africa. Um, So I sat down with my wife and we decided to make a commitment to a a hunting company, PH, in in South Africa, which then started the search to find somebody that would meet what I would require um, as a PH that I would be willing to book with. So this led to a a long and arduous search, which then led to to coming up with um, a couple of names. And... The standout PH company that that stood forefront in my mind was a company called uh, Bojveld Jacobs Society. Uh, Rian Bojveld, his father is, um, and I, his, his father's first name is 
skipping me right now, but he is known to be the premier jaguar hunter in the world. Um, and by jaguar, I mean leopard. Um, he has killed with his his um, his outfitting company in excess of 460 leopards in South Africa legally which is the number one harvester of leopards in South Africa. Point in fact, they harvested the last legal leopard in South Africa under a permit through their society. Um, what drew me to, to Rianne and his company was the fact that he was an ardent supporter of conservation. Um, and when you think about a hunting facility in South Africa, everybody's perception is fish in a barrel. Everybody's perception is a fence. You're hunting behind a fence. And the naysayers all believe that everything is left on the ground. You harvest your animal, you take the meat, you take your skins, you take your horns, you take your head, and out you go and you're gone. Um, Bojveld supports three separate orphanages in the city of Valwater and, and the province of Limpopo that they are in. And then they also support a variety of other facility, um, facilities and people that need to be fed. So for lack of a better word, um, they do a lot of good in their community, which is something that I want to support because the Wild Sheep Society, which I'm extremely passionate about, does a lot of good for their society. Um, so that led me to booking with Bojveld. And then we had this little thing called COVID. And COVID decided to fuck anybody and everybody that wanted to do anything in their world for three and a half years. And they still are today. There's fallout of COVID, which led to the... The cancellation of my first trip, which was booked, I believe, for for pre-COVID. And the plan was to attend the Kamloops Sheeps function. And then we were jumping from Kamloops to Vancouver to an airport. And we were gone to South Africa. And Mr. Trump decided at that time that he was not going to permit flights from anywhere in the continental U.S. to Europe. And my flight just so happened to take me to Amsterdam. So I couldn't get to Amsterdam. I could get from Amsterdam to Johannesburg or Pretoria to the airport there, but I could no longer get there. So that was the, we're not going to go, which really sucked. Um, now, I at that time, my kids were three and four years younger than what they are now. So my youngest was six, nine, and, and well, six, eight, well, five, eight, and 12, or five, eight, and 10, I guess. Nope. Five, eight, and 10. Um which puts us into a position of safety for our children. And the one thing about me is, is that my wife and my kids are my life. Um, so it just comes down to protecting of children. COVID was unknown at the time. There was a lot of unknowns. There was a lot of jump on the bus. There was a lot of this. And, and we decided at that time that we would we would travel to South Africa when my wife was comfortable traveling internationally. Now, we traveled to Mexico pre-rebooking and going to South Africa. But long story short, this is that March 29th, my 50th birthday, we decided to say, fuck it, we're going to South Africa. So we booked that. Um, for Rianne, he was probably thankful because we saved up a lot of money. We um, purchased some some donated items from Bosveld, which they've been a, a fantastic supporter of the Wild Sheep Society. Um, and we went to South Africa and we fucking blew it up. Like, I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> I got to save for my taxidermy bill now. Awesome. Okay, so 
you know, Greg, you've done you've done it. You've seen it. You've ticked that box. Um, I, I'm I'm totally in, out of the loop on this. So uh, talk me through it. So I guess the biggest thing for you is, you know, we could spend you spent two weeks there. So there's lots to talk about. But um, what what are the big ones? What stands out about Africa that I, I kind of know where this is going, but I'll tee up for it. So uh, what's uh, what was kind of the, the highlight for you over there? For me or for Greg? Uh, well, I, we've kind of heard enough from Rensmeg over the years, so <laughs> I, I'd rather hear from you. But I, I, well, I'd be curious to hear, and I want to talk. I want Greg to talk on this too because I'd love to hear his perspective and if you guys have the same uh, same perspective or or how that is. But I'd love to hear from you, Nolan. Okay, so the number one thing about about me that I want to say is I'm all about my kids. So there was a lot of of dreams fulfilled on this trip there was a lot of of exploring who i am as a person pushing limits there was a there was a lot of that so last year i believe it was last year bosveld made a couple of pretty significant donations to the society he donated a double sable trip for the northern and Rianne donated a cape buffalo to the to the camloops auction so we were still we weren't having in-person meetings um, and I, my dream hunt has always been a Cape Buffalo. I always thought that that would be out of the realm of what I can actually afford to do. Um, so the donation that was made by, by Rianne was something that, that was, that was my dream was to be able to hunt a Cape Buffalo in Africa. So I was lucky enough to win that auction at a, at what I'm going to say is a significant discount. So I, I believe I paid um, the value of that trip in Canadian dollars as to what the trophy fee would have been in the U.S. So I, I saved exchange. I saved about 50%. Like this is called a spade a spade. Um, I think I, I got that auction for, I believe, 10, maybe 11,000 Canadian dollars. Um, that included the 10 days of the, of the, the, the daily fees at the, the actual lodge. So that saved me 3,500 us. And then the trophy fee for a Buffalo at that time, I think was 10,000. So 13,500 us value plus for that hunt. And I got it for 10 grand. So it was a fantastic donation on, on behalf of Bajveld. And the, the best part of that, well, that one to be straight up honest is that a majority of that money went to the wild sheep society. So it did help out the foundation. Um, we had booked our hunt long story short, we got lots of time maybe, but, um, I decided that I was going to hunt that Buffalo with a bow. So it never crossed my mind. I blew my shoulder out a couple of years ago, throwing my little, my boy in the pool. And I, I tore three of the four rotator cuffs off my, my shoulder. I tore my bicep off and I tore my pec muscles off my shoulder. So a surgery and seven anchors later, um, I was back to what was classified as somewhat normal. Um, but I hadn't pulled a bow and I was shooting, um, I was shooting Vegas three spot in nationals in the hunter category. And I was, I was a ranked archer. Um, and I was doing quite well in the archery world, but I hadn't pulled my bow in two and a half years. So I decided that I was going to hunt this Cape Buffalo with my bow six weeks before I decided to go. So I call up Rianne and I said, this is what I want to do. He calls me nuts and a couple of other things. Um, and says, this is what I need. So I got an 80 pound bow because my wife won't let me buy heavier 
bow to just go and hunt a buffalo. I don't know why, but if I'm going to hunt the world's dangerous animal with a bow, I should have a heavier bow. So I go with a 70-pound bow, and I get um, grizzly sticks out of, out of Oregon, and I get a 315-grained uh, two-blade broadhead and an FOC arrow with a total weight of 952 grains, plus or minus two grains. Um, and I start flinging arrows, and I'm throwing arrows at 20 yards, and I decide that i got to go to the range and throw them at at least 40 and 50, and I can't even shoot 60 with my bow because the arrows are so heavy that my sight won't allow it to go up where I'm hitting my sight with my arrows before they, they actually launch. So long story short, we get the bow dialed, we get everything said and done, we fly to fly to Africa and my distance is 42 yards. That's the maximum distance I can shoot a buffalo with my bow. And Rianne sends me a video of a hunter from two years previous that shot a bow at 17 yards, shot a buffalo at 17 yards with his bow. So now, not only do I want to harvest my buffalo with a bow, but I want it to be closer than 17 yards because somebody's done it at 17 yards. That's the closest they've shot it at. So that's just the type of guy I am. Is, is if you tell me that 17 is the closest, I want it at 16 or closer. So we get there. We do everything we need to do the day we get there, which was April 1. And we just go for a drive. We're just going to go check out the facility and see what it's about. Um, so my daughter... Brooklyn is nine, and my son Logan is 12, and my, my oldest daughter Chloe is 14, which Chloe, you guys met at this the Kamloops function. Um, they go with, we brought a sitter with us, so that I knew that it should be a couple, three days to get a buffalo with a bow. That's what I, I thought, right? Three days was lots of time to get a buffalo with a bow in South Africa in a spot and stock situation, and that proved to be fucking out the window because it didn't happen in three days. Um so my daughter is out driving around and she comes across and she shows, she comes that night, she comes running in and she sends me a picture of a buffalo and she says, dad, I found your buffalo. And she shows me a picture of a buffalo and it was probably the most beautiful buffalo I've ever seen. And Greg, I showed you that picture there uh, the other night. Um, it turns out to be an old blind and one eye buffalo that had everything that a guy could ever dream of for a buffalo. It had heavy bosses, it had deep curls, it came up, it had mass. A sheep hunter would just drop his drawers to hunt that to hunt that animal, um, if it was a sheep. But it was a buffalo. So we decided we're going to hunt that animal. Um, the next morning we go out, and we have the PH, the tracker, which Greg knows both of these guys, Drianne and... and um, I can't remember the tracker's name. Joshua. Um, so we go out and we're driving around and we drive around for three hours before we find this buffalo. Now, we'll say this and, and just hit pause on the story and let's just talk about hunting South Africa for a second. Hunting South Africa is going to happen behind a fence. It doesn't matter where you hunt in South Africa, you will be behind a fence. So that's the reality. The government does not own the animals. They do not own the land. And the reality is, is, is that when an animal has value, conservation takes a huge toehold in something. So when you talk about hunting behind a fence in South Africa, properties that we're hunting are properties that are 1,000 hectares, 25, 2,600 acres. And if you want to know the size of 2,600 acres of land, Google 2,600 acres of land to square kilometers. You're talking 
five and six and seven square kilometers. But we're also hunting properties that are 25, 30, 40, and 50,000 acres. And they are perimeter fenced. They're not cross fenced, they're perimeter fenced. There is nothing easy about spotting and stalking an animal behind a fence, regardless of what people think that it could be or can be, it is not simple. Hunting is going to be what you make it and it's gonna be what you take from it. So keep that in mind as we continue with the story. So we drove around for three and a half hours looking for this buffalo and we finally found it. Um, so we then drove away from that animal. We knew the general area. It would be the same thing as if I was hunting when I hunt elk in the Kootenays or something like that. <clears throat> and we pursue this animal. So we get into the general vicinity of where he is in about half an hour of, of stalking him. And we eventually find him at 75 yards from us. So again, I'm hunting with a bow. It is just after the rainy season. We're about three weeks after the rainy season. So there's water everywhere. It's not like, but shit is dry and it's, it's tinder dry. Every step you take, you're stepping on, on leaves. You're stepping on twigs. You're making noise, just like any other spot and stock hunt that you're going to go on. Um, so we eventually, it took us 45 minutes to work from 60 yards to 32 yards. And we, we, the buffalo had bedded down and we're, we're sitting 32 yards from this buffalo that is blind in one eye, which we thought, okay, maybe it's going to be, maybe it's, who knows, is it going to be more leery? Is it going to be more difficult? Is it going to be easier to stalk because it's blind? We, we had no idea what to expect or what we're going to come across. But anyways, an hour and a half later, um, the pH says to me, basically, uh, in the time of the hour and a half of sitting there with him bedded, the pH says, when he stands, he should stand, he should stretch. Um, I had a, a small window to snake an arrow through. And by small, I mean the window to snake the arrow through was probably a foot by a foot. Um, and he says, well, when the buffalo stands up, he's going to stretch, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. You should have about 30 seconds to, to come up, come to draw, get your anchor, settle in and, and set the arrow. And that never happened. That fucking buffalo stood up after an hour and a half and he was walking before his front feet were off the ground. Um, so that ended the first morning stalk until as we're, we're slowly trying to work our way out, we decide, well, shit, he just fed out into a field. Um, maybe we can make another play. So we make another play on the buffalo and we get a, a bunch of stuff um, between us and him. And he's feeding from right to left. Now his blind eye is his right eye. The wind is in our face, so as any archer knows, you want wind in your face when you're putting on a stalk. So we actually had a pretty decent um, setup at that time. So we work our way up, and we get set up where we have a little bit of, of stuff between us and him, and we have him at 13 yards. So range him, 13 yards, dial the bow to 20, because that's the, the closest that I can dial that bow of mine in, and we sit there and we wait. So the buffalo fed from right to left. Um <clears throat> And I had a clear shooting lane on a, a quartering away shot, which is not an ideal shot on a buffalo for a, um, a quartering shot. You want a quartering two, you want a side, or you want a straight on shot with a buffalo with a bow. So we passed on the quartering away shot and we waited hoping that he would come broadside or come on. So he eventually decided to come on and we had him facing me directly at 22 yards. Um, and he was looking at us, feeding head down didn't know that we were there, <clears throat> but I had a bush between me and him. So I didn't have a clear shot. Now, the arrow setup I was shooting is, has been dubbed as 375 of the archery world. This is It'll push through shit. 
Um, but I wasn't going to take that risk. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is just fucking fish in a barrel. This is, you know, an animal that should have a tag in its ear. And it, it, it should, like, I'm going to go and kill a buffalo with a bow day one as a spot in stock in South Africa. And it's pretty anticlimactic. Not to be the case. I will say that. Um, he feeds the 17 yards. And that bush is still in my way. So I'm talking to my PhD, Rianne, and I said, well, why don't I come up to my knees and I'm going to lean into you and I'll come to full draw. And if I can sneak my way around that bush that I'm not shooting through the bush, I'm shooting, shooting through some leaves and I can send that arrow. Well, he decides, okay. So we do that. I come to draw. I sit up and I lean to the right and I'm kind of propped on him because the 17 yards, I have a Cape Buffalo feeding towards me. And the Cape Buffalo is the number one killer of hunters. It's not the hippo. The hippo is the number one killer of people in South Africa. The number one killer of stupid fucking bow hunters is the Cape Buffalo. And that's because you have to be ready to follow it up. You are in its zone. So I'm at full draw. I'm leaning on my PH. My PH is leaning back against me. He's got the gun in a ready position that if I send this arrow, that buffalo is either coming to me at 17 yards, which is less than two seconds, or he's going to stop, turn, and burn and go the other direction. In the process of leaning and drawing and sitting up, he catches the movement. The buffalo completely just fucks off. He's gone. And that was the start of hell. Because that buffalo at 17 yards was burnt into my brain of this is what it is. And that buffalo outwitted me every step, every turn, every stock, every shot opportunity, everything for 11 days. That one buffalo that my daughter took a picture of that said, oh, he's just sitting here. Go take a look at him. He's pretty daddy. That night we had an opportunity. We had a spot in stock and we were the second hunters at that um, with Bodgeveld. We were the first hunters of the year at that facility. So that, that farm hadn't seen hunters in five months. And that buffalo had seen people but not hunters. The buffalo had been hunted before, um, obviously not successfully because it was still alive. So that night we put another stock on that animal and we were, it took us for a tour of that 2,200 acres at a run with us running behind it. And eventually that buffalo took us through some of the thickest shit I've ever hunted on Vancouver Island, which is where I'm from. So, you know, Shalal on Vancouver Island, think shit, the Mompati trees, um, and he went through an opening and that buffalo cut back on his tracks and he sat 25 yards from the opening that he went into this field. And about five minutes is what we figured we were behind him. We come busting out of those trees in that opening and that buffalo gave us a woof. It gave us a step and then that buffalo was gone. And that buffalo, I swear to God, changed that second to somebody's trying to kill me. So now he went from if you want to call it somebody relaxed on a, a field to you're never going to see me again. This was a, a stone sheep that just got busted on a hard stock that is, is going five miles away. So one thing about me is I have really, really bad OCD and I have a thing for numbers. I hate odd numbers as in like, if you come on my boat and you fish, if you fish an odd number on a downrigger, you're not allowed to fish on my boat. So I have a six arrow quiver on my bow and I shoot a, a dual pin because a single pin is a, 
a single pin spot hog with one. I got a dual sight on one pin because one is singular, two sights is dual. It's plural. I can handle that. So I buy a six arrow sight and I have it shipped in and I spend a lot of money for a six arrow sight. But the problem is, is that I shoot a hog father target sight on my hunting bow and it's a really big fat knob. And that really big fat knob was pushing on an arrow and it was pushing that arrow out of the quiver. Now, most common sense people would say, I'll just take that number five arrow and I'll use that to shoot. But I can't do that because I have to take the first arrow in the quiver to shoot. So that number five arrow was pushing out and it fell out of my quiver. So it caused a problem in my brain. And if you're OCD with something and you're OCD with numbers, you this will resonate with you. So I decided that I I had a different set screw in my, my archery kit that I could change out that bull knob. So I go back that night and I pull my sight off my bow and I change out the bull knob. And, and lo and behold, I don't have that set screw. So I put my sight all back together. I put my quiver back on my bow and I thought I tightened everything up. And somebody with OCD should know that you double, triple, quadruple and check eight times because eight's my number. I have to check something eight times to know that it's actually 100%. Why, I don't know, but I do. Um, so I didn't. I tell my wife I checked seven and she checked eight and she fucked it up. But Long story short is my sight, which hangs back two knobs, because that's an even number, um, from my my housing. I should have checked it, and again, I didn't. And I should have shot my bow that morning, and again, I didn't. But anyways, you go out on morning two, and, and we find that fucking buffalo, and we find him early. And now there's him and two buddies. He's partnered up with two other bulls. Um, because it's a defense mechanism with any animal. If, if you have a, a weakness, you want to exploit something from somebody else to help your weakness. And in this instance, he decided that he would always keep those two buffalo on his good side. Um, so that if they seen something on his bad side, he would just take off. So we found this buffalo 20 minutes out of camp. And about an hour after we found him, I'm 26 yards from him at full draw with what I thought was a clear sight picture. I send the arrow, and to my fucking horror, the I, I miss. And I, I I don't understand how I can miss at 27 yards. So one thing I did do was is I decided I was going to videotape all of my, my hunting with a GoPro, and my wife decided she was going to spend my a lot of money and buy some cameras. So she was recording everything. So I didn't believe I missed, but everybody told me I did. And, of course, anybody that knows me, um, normally I don't miss at 27 yards and it wasn't the first time I'm going to miss this Buffalo at that range. Um, so we go back to camp and we decide to put everything on the, on the computers and we look and I hit the only fucking tree branch in two miles of me and that Buffalo, which was about 18 yards for that Buffalo. Um, and something didn't seem right. So we said, let's go shoot the bow. So I go shoot the bow and at 40 yards, I'm eight feet over the target. And again, something doesn't seem right. So I'm, I'm, I recite my bow in, but it just doesn't seem right. And I'm looking at my fucking bow and I look at my sight. And as soon as I looked at my sight, I noticed there was five fucking holes hanging behind my sight, not two, five. So what happened was when my OCD kicked in and I had to change out that bull knob, I apparently never tightened it up enough. And my wife grabbed my bow and moved it. And she pushed my sight in and tightened the bull knob up, which then put my pin three inches closer to the riser of my bow, which caused all my arrows to shoot high. 
So it's my wife's fault I missed that buffalo at 22 yards, not mine. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> exactly. So we got on him again that night. We had a, a shot opportunity again. This is day two. Um, at I, The comfort zone with that buffalo seemed to be, if he was in 27 yards of us, the wind, the bush, everything got tight. And he needed to make a commitment of a step, and he didn't do it. Um, caught our wind, and he was gone. The next morning, uh, day three, we put a hard stock on him. He busted us, and we, we, we really laid the boots to him. And he was gone, and we didn't see that buffalo again, which really sucked because that it. My daughter brought me that buffalo, and and um, that was the buffalo I really wanted to harvest with my bow. Um, we called him One Eye, and we decided at that time, okay. So day five comes about, and we're there for for um, ten days because we were going to go to Kruger on Greg's recommendation. Um, so we decided. I, my wife wanted to do Kruger. We, my kids want to do Kruger. We didn't want to just make this a hunting trip. So day five in the morning, we're out. Everybody in the facility is trying to help us find this buffalo again to put a stock on him. And we can't find him. So I get a, we get a call on the radio saying, hey, look, we know that Nolan's, his want is an old, old, old buffalo. Um, they had a buffalo on the on the farm that was just an old 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 bruiser. He, his bosses were chipped and beat up from fighting. His his face, I mean, his face was just torn up and and shredded and cross shredded with scars from fighting. This buffalo was an old old warrior, and that one would check the boxes of what I would want um, to harvest because to me, something that is old out of the food chain is something that is, is a fantastic trophy as per se. Um, my, my oldest daughter, Chloe, um, harvested her first black impala, um, her first animal, in fact, um, in South Africa. And I wasn't there with her to share in that because I was, I was concentrating on hunting this buffalo. My son harvested his first animal in Africa, a, a blessed buck. And again, I wasn't there to share that with them because I was so focused on trying to get this buffalo um, with a bow that I kind of lost perspective a little bit of what what I was there for, which was a family trip and a vacation um, to make memories. And I was I was keyholed in on my my want, which was that buffalo with that bow. So that that weighed a lot on my head. I talked to Amanda about that um, on the morning the night the morning of the fifth, the night of, of the fourth night that we were there and we decided that if there was an opportunity at a, at a nice animal that we would pursue that at that um, animal so um this particular buffalo was spotted by um hank Rianne's brother and he he radioed our ph and said that this is is what he had found and, and it checked our boxes and, and checked so we actually said we'll we'll go and check him out so um funny enough we were driving to an area that he said that he was in and we we drove past this buffalo um, so Amanda took some photos of it and, and we had a look at this buffalo and we decided, you know what, he would be a, a fantastic representation of a Cape Buffalo in Africa to look at going and a fantastic trophy, no matter how you skin it, a Cape Buffalo with a bow, it doesn't matter if it's a 50 inch or 40 inch or a freaking 16 inch. If you harvest a Cape Buffalo with a bow, it's a trophy, um, to be proud of. So we decided we were going to make a play on this animal. So we, we actually drove back to camp to the, the exit gate because he was within a kilometer of that and we grabbed the bow and, and the PH we decided at that time grabbed the rifle um, and our tracker carried a rifle with him as well and, and we put on the track on this animal so we spotted him at about 6 
7.50 in the morning. And at about 7.45, there is a bush between me and him at 12 yards. And that's it. And the wind is hard in our face. And the buffalo is head down feeding. And, and when I say that the animals are head down feeding, in any animal that's head down feeding in tall grass, it makes a lot of noise. So you can get closer to them than, than what you would think you can get. Um, especially with the wind coming at it. So anyways, um, we make a play and we, we move around a bush. There's two of them. There's him and, and a younger bull. And the younger bull seemed to be on, on alert a lot more than he was. So he um, he was feeding to the right. The, the younger bull comes out first and he's at 16 yards. And the older bull comes out at 12. And he's kind of feeding away from us. And we didn't want that quartering away shot but opportunity knocks in it at that distance that one is it's pretty much a gimme that that if we sink that arrow in that it's going to be a kill shot on that buffalo so we had to do a little bit of finagling in a couple of minutes and probably eight yards so i got him at 24 yards and i come to full draw and he's quartering about five degrees to me we read the range we check the tape um and i send the arrow and when I squeezed the trigger on the release, I don't know if it's when I squeezed it, if it was in the process of squeezing it, or if that fucking arrow was in the air. That buffalo took a step forward and turned left 80 degrees. So with archery, your whole in is going to be the only point of bleed if the barrel doesn't pass through. So that buffalo ran about 25 or 30 yards, and he turned sideways. And when he turned sideways, we seen where the fletch of the arrow. So I was through. I was shooting a, a, a heavy arrow, but it was 32 inches long. So we had what we perceived. Well, I could see just the fletch of the arrow buried against the skin. So I knew I had 29 inches of penetration. And I knew that where the arrow was, that, that the angle of the shot, that I would be in the vitals of the buffalo. But the fact of the matter is, is, is that the, the arrow, the point of impact of that arrow was further back than what anybody would want to have a shot with a rifle, let alone a bow. Um, so earlier to back it up, just to go where our decision was made, is, is that we decided that if it was perceived to be a questionable shot or a questionable impact that I would, well, even at the first shot, it was pass the bow to the to the tracker and grab the rifle so that we had the rifle on hand. And that's not whiskey, that looks to be water. That's tequila, Kyle. Um, so I passed my bow to the, to the tracker and I grabbed the 375 that the, they had given me. And I just took a look at Drianne and I took a look at the buffalo and I said, I'm gonna shoot it. So we opened up the sticks and that buffalo ran from 27 yards to 45 as an estimate um, and squared us face on and took a step to us. So I just, I hammered it right in the chest with the 375. Um, and then it, it spun, ran away and then came to about 90, turned around and started to come at us. So I hit him again with the 375 and um, he ran away and then went down. So the, this, the thing about me is, is that if I'm going to harvest an animal with a bow, a bow is a very effective tool to harvest an animal if it's done correctly. Hunting is always going to fuck with you no matter what you do, and it's going to throw everything and anything that it can at you to say it's not going to be that easy. Um, you know, the, the spot and stock on the animal was relatively easy. The wind was perfect. The, everything was perfect except for that buffalo taking that step. And my attitude is, is ethics over ego all day long. It's is that I don't care if I, I, I 
successfully stalked Cape Buffalo to 12 yards, and I successfully put an arrow in a buffalo at 27 yards. That would have killed it when we did the necropsy on the animal. Um, we skinned it, we opened it up, we pulled everything out, and the, the arrow was buried to the, it was six inches into the lung. So it would have killed that animal um, if I had left it. But here, the reality is, 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 is that not only am I putting the pH's life at jeopardy, I'm putting the pH's wife's I'm putting his dogs, I'm putting everybody at a risk of potentially losing something that's important to them over, I just killed it with an arrow. And to me, ethics over ego all day long. I put an arrow in it. Did the arrow kill it? It would have. It would have made for a difficult track. It would have made for a difficult recovery. It would have made for a long recovery. And the smart thing to do was to put a bullet in that buffalo and call it done. So from the time we put an arrow into it to the time that thing was dead was less than 45 seconds. Um, but I arrowed a bull at 27 yards. I stalked multiple Cape Buffalo, 12 yards, 27 yards, 30 yards. And I lived that, that dream of hunting a buffalo with a bow in South Africa in a spot and stalk scenario. Um, and that was the highlight of my trip outside of sharing my children's successes on animals, you know, um, but that didn't end the saga one eye. That motherfucker had to die. So, but that was my, that was my buffalo with a bow. That was my story on him. Awesome. So, yeah. So what's the story? Okay. So, um, Greg, was your trip to Africa similar to that? Similar experience? Uh, I only got to watch buffalo from a distance. I wasn't hunting them. (laughs) But, uh, you know, when he... When Nolan told me he was going to go hunt uh, with a bow, I think my exact words to him were, you crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> From our experience, they were always moving. You know, they're, they're never at a full run, but every time we seen buffalo, they were just on the move. And that big animal can cover ground quick. And I'm Very. just thinking, no, not, not a chance would I hunt that thing with a bow. Just, But absolutely unreal like that. You can't get over the people at Bozwell, Jacob. They're amazing people, amazing team they have over there. Yeah, I agree. We hunted with the same pH, Greg and I. Um, Drianna, he's a young fella, um, very knowledgeable. Doted is probably one of the best buffalo bow hunters that you're going to find in South Africa and a, a very good crew. They're a lot of fun. Um, it didn't matter if you were hunting, if you were just touring. Like um, when we... When we booked this hunt originally, we we booked this hunt. My kids were, were three years younger, three and a half years younger than what they are now. So um, my youngest was, was six. And what's a six-year-old little girl going to do in South Africa, um, let alone an eight-year-old little boy that wants to shoot, but we don't know that can shoot. And, you know, my, my I had no idea if my oldest daughter, Chloe, even had a desire to shoot an animal, harvest an animal. So we decided at that time that we were going to take... Um, my mother-in-law's sister Peggy with us and she was going to come as a sitter to help that if the kids just didn't because we all know I go elk hunting my kids don't want to fucking go elk hunting they want to play video games they want to watch tv they want to watch a movie they want to do what they want to do so we we extended that invite on the first trip and because of COVID and because of all this stuff it didn't make sense to say things have changed my kids are now into hunting that we're going to do this now and we're going to change it so we we she was invited so she came so we had Hank um, and a couple of my kids, and they were just running around, and they were they were 
touring. They were taking photos. They were doing what they were doing. They were having fun. They were living life. So the the fact is, is, is that there was very minimal revenue generated um, by my children being there with Peggy and, and she brought a friend. Um, but it didn't matter to them. They were showing my kids the time of their lives. Hank brought his son um, and they treated us like family. That's the one thing that I can say is, is that we weren't there we were there as a paying customer. We were there because that's their business, but we were treated like family. We were treated very, very well. Um, we were welcomed with open arms. They catered to all of our little idiosyncrasies and what our, our little niche, like I'm a tequila guy. I don't drink rum. I don't drink, I drink tequila. And they made sure that there was cases of tequila around that place. It was shitty Omeka tequila, but it was fucking tequila, right? And in South Africa, if you're going to drink tequila, well, just drink shitty Omeka because that's all they fucking got. But it was tequila, right? And shitty tequila is better than top shelf whiskey on most instances, except for the Sheep Society whiskey, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> right? But um, plus, I was quite a bit fatter than what I am now. So tequila, there's a diet. It's the tequila diet. It... Um, it's good for you. It's healthy. There's very minimal calories in it and, and uh, speeds up your metabolism. So, but fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic hunt. Fantastic trip. You know, it's, um, it, it made dreams come true. It, it, it was my dream, but it turned out to be my, my son's dream. Like I said, my, my daughter, Chloe harvested two. She harvested a black Impala. Um, and she harvested, a small little tiny warthog that my wife is going to taxidermy and make her fucking desk pig. That's what she's going to do. It's going to sit on her desk with, and it's going to hold her pens as to how that's going to happen. I don't know. My nine-year-old daughter, it's a heartbreaking story, but a story nonetheless is, is that my, she is an, she loves riding horses. Her want in Africa was to harvest a zebra. She wanted to harvest a zebra. Like I've never seen her so passionate about something. So we're, we're there. She goes to the gun range. She picks up a 308 and a 30-06. Now, Brooklyn is five foot two and she's 70 pounds soaking wet. And that little girl picks up a 308. She shoots it a couple of times. No bubbles, no trouble. She picks up a 30-06. She shoots a 30-06 five and six times. Not a problem. Like, shock the shit out of dad because I don't shoot 30-cal guns. And, like, they're shooting 30-cals like they can, they can do it, no problem. Um... So after I'd harvested the buffalo, we're out about it and we're hunting and we come across, we're at one pro, a 30,000 acre property and we come across a herd of zebra and my daughter really wanted a zebra. So we're trucking through the bush, just me and her and the PH and, and the tracker. And, you know, it's typical little, little girl. She's got burrs on her that daddy has to pick off and she's got ticks on her that daddy has to pick off. And we get to this little herd of buffalo and we're in this little, little koala of trees there and, and we're sitting there or not buffalo, sorry, the zebra. And we're in this little copse of trees and the, the zebra have no clue we're there. And there's some mares and some foals and there's a couple of stallions that we know we're there. And, and Drianne's talking to me and I'm talking to Brooklyn and I'm trying to explain to her, you know, this is, this is what you need to do. And this is what I want to make sure of. And we're talking through it and we open up the sticks, we get her on the, the gun on the sticks. And she says, she's solid. And we're waiting for the stallion to come out. And we're probably a minute or we're two minutes. And, and typical dad, I'm just rubbing her back and I'm putting my hand on her head and I'm, I'm trying to keep her calm. And then I just, I feel, I just feel an energy coming out of her. And I look down and she's sitting there and she's sobbing. And the tears are just rolling off of her face. 
And I, you know, I get down on a knee and I ask her if she's okay. And she says that she's okay. She's excited. And I, I say, can, can you do this? Um, and she says she doesn't know, but she doesn't want to let daddy down. And, you know, as a parent to a nine-year-old child, the last thing you want your child to think is, is that their actions are going to let you down. And Drianne looked at me and you could almost see that he had tears in his eyes. And I had, it was probably one of the most emotional things that I had actually experienced in South Africa is my little nine-year-old girl sitting there bawling with tears streaming down her face, looking through a gun scope, trying to kill a zebra that she wants to kill. And we, we finally conceded that, that um, she wasn't going to harvest the zebra, but daddy was going to do it for her. So we, we harvested the zebra, which was, in no way, shape, or form, an animal that I would never or ever have harvested. It was just not an animal that is is my thoughts of harvesting, right? Um, and that little girl is still smiling to today that she harvested that zebra with her daddy. And it doesn't matter that she didn't squeeze that trigger. It doesn't matter that I was the one that squeezed that trigger. The fact of the matter is, is that the hunt, to me, isn't judged in success by the death of an animal. The hunt is judged on the experiences that you have in the moment. And she successfully stalked that animal. She successfully put that animal in the crosshairs of the gun. She didn't squeeze the trigger, but she was there when that thing was harvested and she harvested it. And that made that probably my most successful hunt on that trip is, is that I instilled a nine-year-old little girl's desire to be successful and ethics on what you can and what you can't do and what you're emotionally ready to do and what you're emotionally not ready to do. And that was, that's my favorite memory of South Africa is that moment right there. Um, maybe not for her, but for me, that was that. You know, my son is a killing machine. He put his <laughs> sights on, uh, that boy would shoot me fucking bankrupt in a matter of days in that country. I swear to God, <laughs> he would bankrupt me that boy um and i was not there with his first animal and that 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 galls me i was not there for brooklyn's um i was not there for chloe's first animal that galls me um but we did harvest other animals together um we had my son harvested a wildebeest um, he shot two of them, actually. Um, the first one was what was perceived to be a fantastic shot. Um, they never recovered the animal, unfortunately. Um, they did, they have since recovered it. Um, it just, it was a, a, like anything, anything you harvest in Africa, you don't harvest like you do in South America or South in North America. Sorry. When you harvest an animal in Africa, everything is forward. The lungs, the heart, everything is forward. The the perfect shot on an animal, any animal in South Africa, is you follow that front leg up to one third of the body and you squeeze the trigger. You don't go in the crease. You don't go behind the front leg. You go straight up that front leg. You squeeze the trigger. The animal is going to be shot in the heart, top of the heart, or the lungs. They're not going to go very far. Um, and I learned this on one eye. So they can go a long fucking way when, it, when push comes to shove when it when they're not shot correctly per se um and my son shot his first blue wildebeest like he would shoot a deer he shot it a little far back he did get lung um but two days later they came across the the wildebeest that he shot and and they they did harvest it for us um 
And that was only two inches. And everybody thought that it was a perfect shot because it was a little bit of a quartering shot. But again, it, it's the animals are tough there. Cape buffalo. The adrenaline gland of a cape buffalo is between two and three times the size it needs to be for its body. So just think human nature. You think that a, a man or a woman, they get an adrenaline rush, they get in an accident. You hear about these women that, you know, their car rolls over and their baby's in it, they're in an accident, and they flip a car over. That's an adrenaline gland, the size that's equivalent or useful for their body. So put a, an adrenaline gland in your body, three times the size it needs to be. What could you do? And that is the size of an adrenaline gland on a fucking Cape Buffalo, to put it in perspective. That animal can be dead, no heart, and still kill you because of pure adrenaline. Grizzly bears are the same way. Their adrenaline gland are significantly larger for their body than what they need to be. Grizzly bears are known. Like, we know many stories about guides and hunters that have shot a grizz in a heart, and that grizzly still kills them before they die. Um so you got to be really careful about how and where you shoot an animal in South Africa in terms of what the, the the kill zone is. There's a lot of literature online that you can find that that will say this is the perfect shot. If you're looking at a rifle and you're quartering two, quartering away, um, full frontal, a side shot, it there's literature there. If you decide that you're going to want to go to South Africa to hunt, if you're going to hunt with a bow, get the data to where the shots are. If you're going to hunt with a rifle, the data is there be ethical on where you squeeze the trigger on that animal because it's given its life to hang on your wall at home. You're going to eat it. Every animal we harvested in South Africa, and we harvested a fuck of a lot of them, um, we ate some of them all. And then we did give a lot of that meat away to the needy people. And um, that was that's a story in and of itself. I mean, we're a, we're a first world country. When you go to a third world country and you see how these people live and you you bring them food and the appreciation that these people show you just for bringing them what we take advantage of every day. Um, it's humbling. It's, it's humbling. You know, it's, you think about, and you, you think about stories of, and you pictures of, and videos of, you know, African women carrying buckets of water on their head. It fucking happens. It happens today in South Africa right now. That for somebody to go and have drinking water, they have to walk three miles to a fucking river and put a bucket on their head and take it home so they can give their kids a bath. Or they can give their kids fresh water to, to drink or to cook with. It is astounding. There's no social service structure in South Africa. It is giving, and it's giving by a lot of the hunting industry is the ones that actually feed and nourish a lot of these people. I spent above and beyond by um, just totally taking any hunting out of the mix. I, I probably spent, well, I know I spent thousands of dollars buying staples, buying rice and milk and bread and potatoes and fruit and vegetables on top of all the meat that we took to all these orphanages and all these families that needed this, this food. And you can feed a lot of people for a little. And it's the hunting world it's the hunting economy that does this for these people. And you get all these fucking people in the U.S. and all these landlubbers and all these animal lovers that say, oh, stop hunting lions. Well, you know what? That whole cease of the lion fiasco devalued lions in South Africa by upwards of $40,000 a lion because somebody in a fucking chair in the United States of America decides, well, that was a pretty animal to look at. Well, 
lions had value at one point because you could export them to the states you could export them to europe you could take those animals and you could take that trophy home now that the united states has banned import of lions that was 90 percent of people that go to south africa to hunt are from the united states if they can't bring in a trophy that cost them 50 grand to harvest well then why the fuck are they going to harvest it so now an animal that used to generate revenue for the farmers for animals that it, the lion killed and for people and for the government that value is gone so now if there's a lion that's a problem they don't just target that lion they charge they target every fucking lion that's out there that's going to kill that 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 farmer's cattle so there's no savings grace in the united states trying to micromanage the animal population and what they think is ethically correct in south africa leave that to south africa you just mind your peace and keys at home. You don't want lions coming in? Don't fucking hunt lions in the United States. There ain't any. You guys hunting up to extinction, right? <laughs> so leave it to the, to the country to manage their animals. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole rabbit hole that we could spend um, a few Hours. days talking about. But, but you exactly. touched on it and, and said the important parts there for sure. So yeah. is there a one-eye story or something? Or this? That's oh, yeah. There's nothing yeah. else to talk oh, about, no. right? no. <laughs> oh, there's lots more to talk about. You know, I, I, um, we'll get to one. I, I don't know how much time we got for this story or not, but you guys can edit the shit out. You don't want to hear. I think we're um, going two part here. We're going to go two parts. So I harvested, I harvested two book animals when I was there. Um, I harvested an Inyala, which was 28. So the world record in the is 34 inches. I harvest harvested an Inyala that was just under 29 which will go SCI book. And I harvested a, a, um, a clip springer that was four and seven eights. And the world record clip springer is five and three eights. So I harvested some pretty, some pretty significant trophies of animals. And I will tell you that the most difficult animal to kill of everything I shot, the animal that soaked up the most amount of lead was a fucking clip springer. Bar none, a uh, eight pound clip springer harvested uh that that sucker that um we were driving around we were at um we were at the property you shot your bush you didn't shoot your bush buck at it you shot your kudu at that property the twenty-five thousand acres in behind the gate by the security checkpoint the rhino checkpoint there um and we're driving we're driving around and the one thing you learn quickly is that the phs do not get excited they do not get excited overseeing most animals so when a ph gets excited it's something special and when a ph grows fucking wings and flies out of a truck it's something really special and that's what happened with Drianne on this this clip springer we were driving out and it was one of those situations that, and everybody sees it you drive around and you come across a hammer whitetail 240 inch buck standing in the middle of a road and you just get lucky because you're at the right place at the right time. Well, we were driving down this one field and how these fucking guys see what they see, I don't know. Because I can't see these things at 10 yards and they seen them at 400 yards. He sees this clip springer standing in the road, throws bangs on the truck, throws up his binos and gets excited. And then he looked at it and got really, really, really excited. Um, we drove up, we were probably 250 yards from this thing and he just was gone he sits in the back of the truck in this rack 10 feet off the ground and he's fucking gone 
And I look and I see a trail of dust and I see Drianne in the front of this dust just sprinting at this fucking thing, carrying sticks, yelling at me to let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, so we ran probably further than, well, probably closer than what I figure it was. But anyways, far enough to get me winded. Um, he throws out the shooting sticks, throws them out and says, shoot it. And I waddle my way up there and I throw the gun up on the shooting sticks and I look at him and say, what the fuck am I shooting? And he goes, he's like, that clip springer in the road, shoot it. And I'm, I'm looking and I'm looking through the scope and I still can't see a fucking clip springer in the road. And he goes, there's three of them. So eventually I find the clip springer that he's talking about. And he says, it's big. And I'm looking and typical, typical Eastern or Western or whatever you want to call it. My perception of big and, and his perception of big are two different things because you don't know what is big. Like, let's just call a spade a spade. When you're hunting, unless you've done a lot of homework, you don't know what is big. And Clip Springer was not on my list. Clip Springer was on Amanda's list. This was the tiny 10. This was her animal. Um, and she had a bad experience earlier in that day with a miss or a graze, whatever you want to call it. Um, I paid for a Clip Springer because we found a drop of what we thought was blood on a rock. Um and she was not picking up the gun anymore because the gun was out. It was not her fault. It was whatever the excuses were. Um, so 120 yards, I finally see this clip springer. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh yeah, he's nice. And he goes, nice, he's fucking world class. And you say two things to anybody. You say the word world class to any hunter and your heart just skips a beat. And I didn't think too much of it. But these little clip springers, no bullshit, are eight pounds they're 20 inches tall if they're 20 if they're 24 i'd be shocked and they're like four inches wide and this clip springer world class is facing me at 140 yards if maybe 120 yards um and i'm on the sticks and i ran a ways my heart's going because it's world class i hadn't done a lot of shooting on sticks because i hadn't Actually, I just, by Niala, I freehand shot. I, I, a couple of the animals that I shot, I just freehand shot. So this clip stringer was like animal number two. So shooting off of sticks is different than just freehand shooting. Um, and I wouldn't have freehand shot at 140 yards at this clip stringer anyway, because he was world class, right? So I'm at 120 yards, and I figure I'm solid, and I'm not. And whenever you're not solid, you kind of try to time the shot so the gun lays into it you squeeze the trigger and he's like you missed and i'm like i fucking miss he's 120 yards i didn't miss rack another round and i'm i'm getting on it and now i'm, I'm like did i fucking miss so now my head and my ocd is going 120 yards that i miss is has gone on like amanda missed earlier today squeeze another shot he's like and Ed, i missed again and his voice is is getting higher and higher and higher. And as the higher his voice gets, the more animated his body language gets and the more he vibrates. Because unbeknownst to me, when he said world class, he meant like this is top damn clip springer that's ever been shot in South Africa. This was the top two clip springer he had ever shot in his life as a PH with Bajval Jacobs and Rianne had never seen he's never the other guys had never shot an animal this size in terms of clip springer size um so I shot twice apparently missed twice
Um, shot a third time and missed the third time. Um, so he fucks off to the right. I rack another round in the bullet, um, in the gun. And I've shot three times. Apparently missed three times. Um, so he runs to the right. He runs to the left. He gets up on a rock. And he's broadside, so fire off another shot. And I know I smoked him on that shot. Um, so he takes off to the right and kind of dives into the tree. So the PH is all excited. And he's like, oh, did you see the way it went into the tree? I know that you at least hit him somewhere on this one, right? Um, so he's like, load again, and the fucking gun's empty. Because who would shoot four rounds out of a three hundred eight at an eight-pound animal and miss, right? So up comes the tracker with the dog, because we need a tracker and a dog for an eight-pound animal at 120 yards. Um, I load up the gun again. And up we go, and we're probably 10 yards from where this thing dove into a tree. And Drian's like, oh shit, there it is. And he goes, and everybody, all the PHs carry a handgun on their hip um, for dispatching animals. Um, So he was going to hand me the handgun and the thing up and gone, fucks off. And he ran directly away from us and ran into some thick shit and we didn't think too much about it. And Drian holsters the sidearm and, and takes off and I grab the three and of course the three weights in my hand and I take off and Joshua the tracker's behind us um and we're 40 yards Drian's you know 40 yards in front of me and and the tracker and I'm probably 20 yards in front of the tracker and I and Joshua's yelling and screaming for me to come back pointing and I walk back to him and and I'm five yards from a tree and he's pointing he's like there it is shoot it and I can't fucking see nothing Eventually, a clip spinger materializes under this tree with what I think is 12-inch horns um, at four yards from me. And Drianne is running, trying to grab the handgun, and it's just not coming to fruition. So I up with the 308 at four yards and shoot this clip springer. So suffice to say, um, we shot him then and hit him for sure. On the necropsy of that animal, we did hit him four or five times. Um, but that fucking thing would not die, would not die. Um, there was two vital hits on him. Um, but we did shoot off a front leg and a back leg, or should I say grazed a front leg and a back leg? You can edit that out. (laughs) Um, so, so that was, that was when my pH learned that there's two words you do not say to me. And that's world-class because I can do anything with a rifle in my mind, in my world. But when you say world-class, then my balls just fucking drop and that's it. I'm a girl and I'm screaming and I'm jumping and yeah, shit just goes sideways. So, um, so anyway, that was, that was a pretty fantastic hunt, but to get to one eye, we have to go to the kudu. So we're at the same property that we hunted this clip springer. And I spend two days, and 30 kilometers of walking to hunt a kudu. And kudu are, a, kudu is, kudu and impala are the, that is Africa to me, outside of Cape Buffalo. Um, and I had a very specific want for a kudu, and that was, I wanted turned out tips and ivories. And that just never fucking happened because it's hunting, right? Um, and after two days and 30 kilometers of following some skinny little fucking African around in the bush, you decide that the reality is, is, is that if it's nice, you're going to shoot it because you just want it to end. I swear to God, I picked off about 1500 ticks. Um, but long story short, two days and 16 hours of kudu hunting and 30 kilometers of mountain climbing later, 
I have a kudu in my sights at 160 yards, and it's a beautiful bull. It's an old, old, old bull. Um, and I we packed the 375 on this particular hunt, and why I don't know, but I did. Um, so I got him broadside, probably 160 yards on the sticks, and I'm comfortable on the sticks now because I've shot at Eclipse Finger enough times off the stick that I cannot shake anymore. And I shoot the kudu in the neck, and down he goes. He's done. And that was my second most epic shot. My Anyala shot was pretty epic. Um, but we walk up to the kudu, and, and the one thing that they do there is, is that they just open up the sticks and they put the gun on the sticks. And you hang it off the sling, and then you go and you deal with your animals. Um, we shot him at an area that we could drive to, so we, we, we did a bunch of video footage and some drone footage, and we had some fun with that. And we're looking at the kudu, and the fucking gun falls over. Um, and we're not thinking too much about it. And we should have, in hindsight, but we didn't. And, and Drian's like, oh, no big deal. He says the, the gun was two inches off the ground on the butt. He said it was just a heavy, the 375 is a heavy gun anyways. Um, so we open the sticks up wider, put the gun back on the sticks, and we, we carry on with what we're doing, and, and we don't give it a second thought. Um, so that finished day number nine. So day number 10, and my wife was not with me. It was just me and Drian then. Um, we get back to the, to the camp, and Amanda says, oh, I shot one eye. And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean you shot one eye? She goes, well, I shot him with the camera because we found him again. I'm like, oh, cool. So I proceed to harvest a plan, which was to get Rihanna as drunk as I could um, <laughs> and try to get the best deal I possibly could. Because the one thing about hunting in Africa is that you can shoot a lot of animals, but the tab rings up pretty quick. Um, and if you don't watch what you're doing you can spend a lot of money fast and up to this time we had a budget and we stuck to our but actually we were under budget to, and for me that's pretty significant because i don't do anything under i always try to exceed by 20 percent. that's my attitude is you know in business exceed expectations by 20 percent. and if i'm going to go to africa and my budget is twenty thousand dollars i'm going to spend 25 before i even get concerned about money right um so i i i did pretty good i got i got um i got rianne drunk enough to to agree to sell me one eye on a on a hunt from what we th we thought one eye was a, a fifteen thousand dollar trophy fee and he said that he would sell it to me at the same price that i bought bought my first buffalo with um, at the auction, but in the U.S. funds. So he, he agreed to a $10,000 trophy fee for one eye. Um, so I talked it over with Amanda. Well, it's just, I told Amanda I was going to hunt one eye tomorrow. Actually, <laughs> I told Amanda she was going to hunt one eye tomorrow is what I did. So, um, and that's the nice thing about having a wife like Amanda. And I can say this, this is, is that, if I could wish anything on anybody is that you have a wife that just indulges you as a person. And my wife is probably the only woman I could have ever married that would actually survive as my wife because I am a difficult man to be married to. And I know that for a fact, because to me, the only thing that has value is my wife and my kids. Um, my business, I can just, money, you can work hard and you can make money. 
Um, I've been very fortunate in business and I've been very lucky in business that I, I just work hard. And if you work hard, you're going to be successful in anything that you do. And my wife has bought into that bullshit. So she <laughs> believes that it's going to be okay. So I, I, at the, at, I think it was two o'clock in the morning when I finally rolled into bed, um, two bottles of tequila down and South Africans don't drink tequila, but we got those fucking guys drinking tequila now. Um, and we have a deal on one eye. So I tell Amanda that basically we're going to get up in two hours and we're going to go hunt one eye. Now I was not drunk just to say, um, I kept my cool head with me so I could negotiate and get these guys drunk. Um, <laughs> so we get up in the morning and we're going to go hunt one eye. And the whole plan is for Amanda to hunt one eye. Now, up to date, one eye beat me six times. He beat me on stocks. He beat me on shot opportunities. He beat me six times. And we decided that this fucking buffalo was no longer called one eye. We called him nine lives. Because the running joke was we're not going to kill him until he's there's been nine opportunities on him and we were at six. So we had a lot of making up to do. And it was kind of a joke, but it proved to be fucking true. So we are out and one eye up the game. He decided that having two Buffalo buddies with him wasn't good enough. One eye hooked up with five giraffes. Now you may think, well, why would a Buffalo hook up with five giraffes? Well, you take an old buffalo that's got some common sense between his ears and you take giraffes, which it doesn't matter how stealthy you are. It doesn't matter how much camo you put on or how many ghillie suit layers you put on. You will never sneak up on a fucking giraffe. There is no way, shape or hell, any man is going to sneak up on a giraffe and that giraffe doesn't know it's there. So... One eye decided that he hooked up with two cows, two calves, and a bull giraffe. And those giraffes are always on the lookout. A prey animal in South Africa, it doesn't matter, is always on the defensive. He's always looking. He's always trying to see. He's always aware of what's around him. And an animal that has a, a perspective at 25 feet in the Bompani trees and in some of these other trees, it doesn't much matter that animal's going to see you. No matter what you think you're going to do, no matter how quiet you are, no matter how stealthy you are, that giraffe has you pegged before you even think you're getting close. Um, and we proved this to be true. This is that we actually got into an area where we were sitting there and we had sat there for some time and the giraffes fed into our area and we seen one eye and... We got busted moving by the giraffes and one eye just, he fucked off. He was gone. So we knew that he was using the giraffes as a defensive mechanism or an, a, a, an alarm or an alert so that the giraffes, and he always kept the giraffes to his good side. That was, he could always see at least one of the calves and one of the cows on his left side, which was his, his dumb, his eyesight. Um, so we knew that we had to not only defeat him, we had to defeat the giraffes, which then changed how we hunted him. Because now we didn't worry so much about him because he was using the giraffes. So we got to 80 yards of him and he had no clue that we were there. And we always kept 
shit between us and the giraffes. Up goes the sticks. Amanda throws the 375 on the sticks. And he is feeding head down, looking straight at us. It's the perfect bow shot, but 80 yards, which is a fantastic rifle shot. And he lifts up his head because the wind was swirling a little bit. And he lifted up his head. And as soon as he lifted his head, Amanda dropped the hammer on the trigger. Boom. Buffalo jumps, kicks, gone. Fucks off. He's out of there. So we just stopped. And we're thinking, well, did we just actually kill him? It looked like a great shot. Um, I was recording everything that was going on. And we decided, fuck, just take a breath. Like one eye's going to die. And we walk up to where he was standing. And we take his track. And I will say this, those those trackers in South Africa can track a flea across a fucking, across the Sahara Desert. Those guys are insanely good at what they do. Um, so we start to track this buffalo. And 45 minutes later, we still haven't found blood. So something just didn't add up. And I will say that Amanda, when she got her chi, when she actually settled into it she made some phenomenal shots and amanda as a shooter as a hunter um she's an exceptional shot she has harvested elk at a thousand yards one shot and we her and i spend a lot of time shooting um the my passion is is fire is guns i i like quality guns i like quality optics but amanda is very much like me we go and we shoot half moa targets at a thousand yards all the time um for accurate usually when we are squeezing the trigger what we're we're shooting is is done um unless it's a fucking clip springer at 120 yards because that takes five shots to kill or a buffalo <laughs> apparently or a buffalo so anyways at we can't find the blood so we drop the sticks at where the track is and we loop back to where we shot. And we start looking at everything. We, we, we stand where the buffalo is standing. We're looking for hair. We walk back to where the sticks hit the ground and we can see where the sticks hit the ground because there's four of us there. Um, and then we, we, Joshua walks the flight path of the bullet from where Amanda shot to where the buffalo was and he's really looking at everything. And he fucking bends over and picks up a stick. And I have no fucking clue. Like, it was a stick, right? And he picks up the stick, he looks at the stick, and he's looking at the trees, and he fucking holds it up, and he's like, she shot the tree. And I'm like, there's no there's no chance in hell Amanda shot a tree eight feet above a buffalo, ten feet from where she's fucking, or ten yards from where she's standing. It just doesn't happen. So I'm like, let's, let's go back to camp. It's 1130. It's getting close to lunch. Let's go dump all the GoPro footage and let's dump the, the camera footage. And the GoPro footage I was shooting at 8K at 60 frames a second um, for this reason that we could slow the shots right down, right? Um, so we pile in the truck and we're heading out. And lo and behold, there's fucking one eye. 20 yards from the truck. I <laughs> grab the gun and I fucking, I, I swear to God, I'm racking around in this firearm as I'm jumping out of the truck. And to me, there was a bullet in the buffalo at this time. Because there's no way my wife is going to miss at 80 yards. Um, so I hit the ground and Drianne's like, that's him. Boom. I, I take a shot. And 
immediately rack around and he was turning and as he was turning i caught black in the scope so i i fired another round at him and the adage is is that a bullet in a buffalo is a good bullet it doesn't matter once the first one's in the boiler room any other bullet it doesn't matter where it is put a bullet into it keep shooting until it's dead right um so i'm like well fuck okay we know he's dead we know like i know it was on i know i killed him he's 20 yards away from me i'm not gonna fucking miss we go to where he's standing and he was in some thick shit and we're walking through and there's no fucking blood on the ground and now i'm getting pissed off because amanda missed at 80 and how can you miss at 20 yards in a buffalo that buffalo had a, a bullet at 80 it had two bullets at 20 yards there's no fucking way we didn't hit that animal there isn't blood after 20 minutes of searching and i'm like fuck and i grabbed the gun and it, it's i looked at the gun something that amanda said to me that morning she says she's looking through the gun she's like oh i need your there's the scope is dirty can i have your your rag to clean the scope so i gave her my my wipe to clean out the scope and she's like oh i can see the i can see the front sight in the scope and it clicked as soon as as soon as i looked at the gun and she's like how the fuck can you see the front sight of a of a gun through the scope so how do you see the front sight of a gun through the scope how do you see it what do you think has to happen for you to see that scope that front sight yeah obviously the back up to kudo hunting what happened when we were kudo hunting uh, uh, to that gun that gun fell off the sticks right yeah. so when that gun fell off the sticks it actually bent the barrel of the scope 20 degrees down so we bore sighted that scope back at camp and at 10 yards that gun was six feet high so we were and none of us fucking knew it like that somebody with ocd it should have just clicked but a a ph should have noticed it anybody that shoots and this was the first and i'd looked through that fucking rifle scope the day before and shot that kudu and i'd shot that buffalo five days late earlier through that same rifle scope and i never seen the front side of that gun but it didn't click and register in my brain that she could see that front sight and when i even threw that gun at that scope up that morning to look through it i could see the scope and it didn't fucking register in my brain that barrel the gun landed on the barrel of the scope and it pushed the bell of the scope flat to the barrel so that scope from being flat was like this that's if you look at the perspective of my hand that's how that scope was so every shot we took at that buffalo 10 yards was eight feet or six feet high 20 yards if you compound it as you can imagine we weren't even close to that fucking buffalo so that was what we called nine lives because that was his ninth shot opportunity that we had at this buffalo so we go back to camp we we didn't figure this all out we grab jacques 375 which was the seiko with a loophole dangerous game scope on it have lunch take it to the range shoot it and we're out and we're hunting again and we decide okay well what are we going to do so amanda's like well it's 3 30 in the afternoon four o'clock we just she says you know what she says we have to check out this other area um and people get feelings on things and my wife she gets feelings and i've always learned to trust her feelings she came up to me one day and I'll, I'll tell you why is is that we were in cranbrook 20 years ago 
and out of the blue, she says to me, do you got a cougar tag? And I'm like, well, I always have a cougar tag in my pocket. Anybody that hunts buys a cougar tag. She goes, well, are they open? And I said, well, yeah, they're open. I said, but it doesn't fucking matter. I've hunted the Kootenays for 20 years. I've never seen a cougar here. She goes, we're going to see a cougar today. Lo and fucking behold, three hours later, I'm shooting a cougar that's charging at me at 60 yards. Never seen a cougar before. She tells me we're going to shoot a cougar, and I'm shooting a cougar that's charging me. So I've always learned to trust my wife's feelings. She's never had a feeling to buy a lottery ticket yet, but she has said, and she said to me, she says, we're going to take pictures of one eye tonight in a field with the sun setting behind us. And I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. And I'm thinking, you know what? We're going to kill him. We're going to get this guy. And she keeps saying to me and Drianne, she goes, we have to go to this area. And he, and Drianne's like, that's not the area that we've seen him in. We've, he's never been there. We're not going to get him there. Um, she eventually, as like any woman that's persistent, you just get tired of the nagging and you decide, okay, we're just going to acquiesce what you requested. So you shut the fuck <laughs> up, right? Um, so lo and behold, we're going to go in this area and we get stuck. And we get stuck. So Dumpy's driving. We're stuck. Drianne's yelling at Dumpy not to spin the tires. He's pissed off. He's got to jump out. Out goes the winch. We have one tree. Thank God we have one tree that we can winch to. Hook up the winch. We're pulling ourselves out. We're making more racket than you could think that you would ever need to make while you're hunting. And Amanda just starts to fucking laugh. And I look at her. I'm like, what are you laughing about? She goes, there's a fucking buffalo right there. Walking from right to left. And I'm like, shit. And we're yelling at Rianne to, like, there's a buffalo right there. And he's not paying much attention because he's driving and he's getting stuck and getting us out. So we get out and we, we decide... That had a lot of mud on the back end. And the easiest way to identify a buffalo is to, is to identify a characteristic that's unique to its own. And, and this particular one eye had a lot of mud on its back end. So we were probably 80 to 90% sure that the buffalo that just walked in front of us as we're winching ourselves out of the mud was, in fact, one eye. Um, so we, we drove up, we drove around a corner, and we, we bailed out of the truck, and we're going down the road. And there's the buffalo. It's 120 yards from us. We don't have shooting sticks. We don't have fucking anything. And this buffalo is standing there and he's pissing side to side. And that is that is a, a big sign of agitation in a buffalo is, is that as he's pissing, he's just waving side to side. He's not happy. And Drianne says, that's him. And it as soon as he said, that's him, up goes the gun and boom. Um, solid report back on a solid hit from the buffalo. And... I said to him, he goes, oh, solid hit. And I said, yep. But it was back. And I know it was back because I shot him just like I would shoot an elk. And when you shoot, shit slows down. At least for me, when I shoot it, I can relive the shot like it happened. I can relive it now like it happened now. Um, and I, I remember specifically walking that reticle up the front leg and... I have a tendency when my heart beats, I jerk left and down. And I waited till my heart beated and the reticle settled left and down and I squeezed the shot. So it put it put the reticle off of the top of the leg and it put it behind the front leg like I would shoot an elk here for, for a double lung shot. And that is a fantastic shot on an elk. It's not a good shot on a buffalo. 
Um, it was a double long shot, but that, as we're going to learn, that can take a lot to kill a buffalo. So up we go. We give him five minutes, and we walk up to where he was standing when he was shot, and there's fucking blood everywhere. Um, and he's standing in the bush, and you can hear him. We couldn't see him. We can hear him. And he was just gurgling. You can hear the blood. You can hear the breathing. You can hear everything. Like, it was just gurgling out of him. And Rianne moved to the right, or Drianne, I'm sorry, moved to the right. And he's waving. He's trying to get my attention. And I, I come to the right, but Drianne is in front of me by about five yards. And we can see the buffalo. And the blood is just pouring out of this animal. Um, but that put Drianne about five to six yards in front of me. And that is not a shot that's an ethical shot to take because now you've got a body in front of you. So there's me, the gun, Drianne, and then the buffalo. Um, so I didn't have what I thought, what I thought would be a clear shot. So I, I didn't want to take a shot. Um, he's got his gun up thinking that if the buffalo charges at him, because it can see him and I clearly... Um, that he's going to take a shot and he's telling me to take a shot and I'm doing everything I can to not take a shot. Um, so the Buffalo didn't come at us. It turned and it fucked off. So we sent Amanda and the dog back to the truck and me, Drianne and, and Joshua ended up taking the trail with the Buffalo and we get up to where the Buffalo is standing and there is just, it's, it's a fucking, it's a bloodbath. There is blood everywhere. Um, Drian was telling me that, you know, as the sight picture he had on the Buffalo, it was bleeding very well. It was, it was just pouring out of his nose and his mouth. Um, we know it was lung blood. We could see that the shot, we could see everything looked solid. It was fantastic. So it was about 4.30, quarter to five at this particular point in time. And we decide to take the trail. So we take the trail, um, and off we go. We follow this buffalo, and that buffalo took us through some of the thickest shit I've ever hunted in my life, and that that takes it to a different it takes it to a different level. You're hunting an animal, um, takes it. To, this animal is is vying to to survive, and it was a it was a good shot. If we had walked out and left it, that animal would have died. It would have died within an hour, probably. Um, but it's seen us, and the adrenaline got going, and now that animal is gone. I will say that I have, I've hunted grizzly with a bow. I've shot grizzly with a bow. I've shot grizzly with a rifle. I've have, I've gone after grizzly that had been shot badly, um, and I was never more alive than I was hunting this buffalo, because you know nothing about these animals outside of the fact that they kill more hunters than any other animal in South Africa. Um, <clears throat> so we put the stock on this buffalo and we never see him. We hear him. We never see him for an hour and 20 minutes. And we're looping back. And this buffalo is now, he's coming back and we're, We've been put in a position where he's. we felt as though he's charged at us, um, and he broke the charge off. And it was, it was, it's not a nice feeling when you're in 10 yards of visibility and, and there's something crashing through the bushes that's coming at you that you can't see. So 
at about six o'clock, we come out to an area and it, and the, one of the other PHs is there. Um, and we're having a discussion of basically what's the best way to proceed at this particular point in time. So we decide at that time, there's two options. There's to leave the Buffalo and just let him expire through the night and we'll go and pick him up in the morning, which then you've got hyena. Um, you've got, there's, there's lions in the area. There's hyenas in the area. There's other predators in the area. Um, and there's a lot of meat that's potentially going to get wasted. So we decided at that stage of the game that the most ethical thing to do would be to, to put the dogs on the buffalo at that stage. So I don't know if anybody, if any of you guys have hunted behind dogs, um, but I'm sure that lots of people listening are going to have hunted behind dogs and they're going to have the experiences of behind dogs. So the point and purpose of the dog is to bay the animal. So what it does is it, it, uh, it takes the attention off of us traipsing through the bush um, from the animal and puts the attention on the dogs. So the animal's attention is now on the dogs, not on us trying to stock up to it. So five minutes after we, we decide that we're going to put the dogs on it, they've got the blood trail and they're off and running. And probably five minutes after they're off and running, they're, they're chasing the animal and then they've got it bait. And to bay a buffalo, you basically, in this instance, we had three, three dogs um and they just they come in and they agitate the animal so one dog works at the front one dog works at the back they keep the animal kind of spinning in circles um and what that does is it allows us to get close as hunters to come in and try to ethically finish that animal off um so it takes the danger away from it which i didn't even think about at that time and i don't even necessarily want to say that it takes the danger away from it but it adds another level of of hunting and experiences to what you're doing so we get up and the dogs have the the buffalo bayed and i just don't have a clear shot um so we're we're trying to maneuver to get a clear shot and we're getting relatively close to this animal um and he that buffalo's pissed off so if that buffalo sees us that buffalo's coming at us so the the opportunity or or what the the want is is to get into a position to put a finishing shot on this animal where it can't see us so everybody is safe but not shoot the dogs at the same time right because let's just face it adrenaline's high and you're running you're um so we don't get an opportunity at that particular at that bay um the buffalo turns and takes off and they're telling me just put something into it put a round into it so um i throw up the the gun and, and snake a shot through some trees and i don't know if we hit it um i think i hit it I was trying for a spine shot. I just went right in the middle of the animal, rack a, um, a shot with the rifle. It did lurch. So at least that was the sight picture. The 375 comes straight back into the pocket. Um, so I was able to watch the animal did lurch, but I don't know if it stepped in a hole. I'm not going to say I hit it. I'm not going to say I didn't. Um, but it turned it fucked off and away it goes. And, and a couple of minutes later, probably three or four minutes later, the dogs have it bait again. So we got into a position that we actually, it was bait up in somewhat of an open area. Um, and we got into a position that we could get the stick set up. We had a clear shot and shot it in the base of the neck and down it went. Um, and that was it, it was done. And that was, that was the most emotional thing that I had felt was that, that at number 10 is, is where that Buffalo finally succumbed to to my, my fucked up bullshit on putting a bullet at this animal. And, and to say that it, it wasn't emotional would be a lie because um, when we walked up to that animal and 
and actually put our hands on that thing that Drianne just started to chuck when I looked at him. I'm like, what's so, what's so funny? He says, he's almost standing where he was when he missed him with the boat. Um, so full circle is, is that when he finally did die, is, is that he dropped within 50 yards of where he was standing when I missed him with my bow one day too. Um, so that was, that's the story of one eye that, that animal, he, he fought with everything he possibly had. And, and it's not that one man outwitted him. It took a fucking team to out that with that out with that animal. And it, it, I said that if I had to add how much time I put into hunting that one Buffalo with a bow, when I didn't succeed with it and had to switch to a rifle, I hunted that animal for 50 plus hours in a 2,500 acre fenced off compound. And I had one opportunity when the world was saying, okay, now it's time because you miss him with a bow, you miss him with a stock, you get the wind, a fucking scope that's bent 20 degrees down. Just so many things that, that just culminated to say it ain't going to happen. Like that thing had to die. But when he finally did die that it was, it was emotional. I've never cried at harvesting an animal, but I could feel myself like, is this really, truly over? It was huh. surreal to me at that time. Had they hunted him before? Had they they'd seen that bull before or what? Um, I don't necessarily know that they had. He was, I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that they're going to have hunted him. Um, his one eye, he wasn't, he was, his one eye was, it was, he was blind and I don't know if it was an injury. Um, but his one eye actually is recessed into his head. It's half the size of his other eye is. It totally, it's stone black. Um, and my, my mount is actually, I, I took a number of photos of his eyeball and said, this fucking buffalo has to come to me with his eye looking like this. So it's just going to have a black little marble stuck in his eye and it's going to be completely recessed. That is how that buffalo is coming. It's my screensaver. A picture of his eye and his bosses on my phone. Um, it, it, um, it's a special animal. And don't think that just because an animal has a defect, don't think that because it's blind in one eye, that it's an easy hunt. I killed a two-eyed old bull buffalo with my bow, and it was nowhere near as difficult as a one-eyed old buffalo that, that was with a rifle. i tell you that much. So, so when are you going back? Next year. <laughs> <laughs> I've already found Qatar Airways, 5000 bucks round trip for me and the family to go. Really? Well, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, this one, uh, yeah, I, it, um, I'm going back. I'm hoping to, you know, but Rianne has, he stepped up a lot. He's donated a lot of hunts to the Wild Sheep Society of BC. Um, he's donated, he's actually in, since donating to us at the WS, the Wild Sheep Society of BC, he's now donating a lot of trips to the Wild Sheep Foundation. Um, he bought his lifetime membership for the Montana Wild Sheep Society, or Foundation, he actually won the uh, the Montana Sheep Draw for the wildlife members out of Montana for this 2023 year. So he's going to come back and he's going to hunt that um, that sheep in Montana. He won that draw. Um, and he's really stepping up the conservation side of things with and supporting the Wild Sheep Society of BC with what he's donating. Um, so he's, he's, he's definitely a conservation partner that I'm proud of to say that as a friend. And I think he's done a lot of good things for the Wild Sheep Society of BC across the board. Um, and he's there. 
it's a crew that it doesn't matter if you've talked to them for three years trying to set up a trip of a lifetime or you just buy a trip in an auction and you decide I'm going to go and I'm going to hunt here. It doesn't matter. Your family, you step off that airplane, you're picked up, you're treated like family. They walk you to your gates. They, they stand there and wait for you and, and until you basically say, look, you've, you've wiped my ass for 14 days. Go home to your wife because they don't see their family. They don't see their wives. When you are there, you are it. You are everything to them to ensure that you are happy. And that is service and it's conservation. And that is, is what I am passionate about. Dude, that's epic, man. I'm, uh, you you're harassing me to go. I want to go bad, but, uh, and the wife wants to go too. So I just got to save a few more shekels, I think, before I can, uh, put that together. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll definitely put something together. I, it's, we'll talk. I'll sponsor. Ren's, yeah, <laughs> yeah spon- hashtag sponsored by Nolan. Uh, Ren's Mag, you coming or what? Are you going back or what's your plan there? Nolan sponsoring? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will get an epic deal. You know, I can tell you that much. If finances work, I would go back in a heartbeat. I dream about that place every day since leaving. Uh, Absolutely yeah. unreal. If um, I can say this. If I do make a deal with, with Rianne and Rianne and everybody there. And I am actively looking for property to purchase there. So if I do um, purchase some property, there's going to be some pretty some pretty significant donations coming to the society. So we will make something happen. To all the volunteers, we'll do something. To all the execs, <laughs> we'll do something. We will make any member of the WSSBC that wants to come hunt in South Africa feel like their family they will get just as good a deal as anybody else will awesome man um man that uh, we've we've just like plowed through an hour and a half and uh i feel like we just got our feet wet i think we have to do this again though because uh we're typically like that one hour mark we've like broken a record here so um Perfect. longest podcast in the history of talk is sheep but uh um yeah. What else? Uh, okay. So let's just wrap this up. What do you got planned for the rest of the year? Are you going uh, sheep hunting this fall or what's your plan? I am. I, if, if they answer the phone and book my plane, I'm going to be going sheep hunting. Um, I wasn't <laughs> okay. lucky enough, like a couple of my buddies to get doll draws cause they got a Clydesdale <laughs> up their ass. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be, um, I have stones in late August. We have Jurassic classic in early August. We have a, I got Kootenays, I got elk, um, moose, and I'm trying to talk a couple of buddies up in the Yukon that uh, are residents up there into maybe sponsoring me for a moose up in the Yukon this year. We'll see how that goes. Um, so definitely sheep, definitely caribou, definitely goat. Something will die by my hand on a mountain this year. I'm hoping to get kicked out of the less than one club. Um, so we'll see. It's been it's been a long time coming. I could have harvested a couple, but my attitude is is I just I want that one. I don't need 10 stones on my wall. I just need one nice stone on my wall. And I'm happy with one. It's, you know what? If there's, if we're building the society as we want to build it and we're building the conference conservation, we want to build our membership and we want to support young hunters and new hunters. And, you know, if you go out every year and you kill a stone, my attitude is, is take a newbie out and let them harvest a stone. It's, it's, I've been sheep hunting for 10 years. I could have killed a number of stone sheep, but it's not, I'm waiting for that one that says I'm it. 
I'm the one stone that I'm going to harvest. I only need one on my wall. Granted, they're good fucking eating, I hear, so maybe I'll get somebody from the society feed me a steak or a roast here and there, but I just need one on the wall. But you know what? If I can help the society put 50 on the mountain, then it's successful in my mind. I feel like you've been doing that, buddy. So you've definitely... You've definitely put more on than you've taken off, I'll say that. With confidence. <laughs> you call me a bad hunter or what? <laughs> uh, either that or a good conservationist, one of the two. But uh, no, pretty awesome, dude. Uh, inspiring. And, and just right there, that attitude about, you know, you don't need to kill a sheep every year, right? Um, we all know that it's legal. You can do it. But if we all keep killed sheep every year, um, they'll change the rules. So it's probably yeah, best we right. don't. Um, yeah. I'm like you, man. I'm pretty picky when I go out there. I've been fortunate enough to get a stone sheep, and um, if that's all I ever get, I'm pretty happy with that. And if uh, the the sheep hunting gods bless me somewhere along the way, I'll take it too. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. awesome. That's the right attitude, and that that's that's certainly an attitude we need to create uh, and cultivate in our community. I think like a lot of us believe that, but you know, not everybody's doing it. And then, hey. It's legal. It's within their right, but uh, we all know what happens if everyone was doing that. So. Well, that's exactly right. And you know what? It's it, who am I to judge somebody for doing what is legal, right? It ethics play a big part in in how I hunt. Um, my 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 want is is to take my daughter out and my want on a mountain or my son and my youngest daughter is that in twenty years I don't want to have to to buy in a lottery to say, well, can we go for a, a stone sheep this year? Can we do this? Is I want to be able to say to my daughter, like, hey, you know, you're 18. Let's let's jump in a plane and let's go hunt some sheep together. And I want to be able to say that to my to my son and to my youngest daughter. And it's about it's about conservation. I am not the boots to the mountain kind of guy. And, and it's really unfortunate that I'm not. Um, simply because time and, and time is, is my enemy. Um, but what I'm lucky enough to be able to do is, is I'm lucky enough to be able to support initiatives that's put forth by people. And, and that's my conservation side of things is, is to be able to support that end of things. So if that means that by not killing a stone this year and leaving it on the mountain, so it can be a bigger stone two years or three years down the road. But when, when push comes to shove, you know, it, the, a comment was made you posted a picture about that that cooler um about people thinking that money and brains and and just pissing away money is is that if you have the wherewithal to support something find something that you're passionate about and support it 100 percent. and that's where i'm at is, is that when it comes to the wild city society of dc is, is that i'm all in you know it it it's not just a foundation but it's a brotherhood it's i'm stuck in vancouver for business meetings and i can phone mike and i can phone greg and i said hey i'm stuck in vancouver you always want to go for lunch or go for dinner and and you know greg drives an hour and a half to come down and, and hang out for a couple hours and shoot the shit and talk and and mike is the same thing it's is that it's it is a brotherhood of people that have the same like mind conservation ethics that you do and when you're in you're in and when they accept you you're family and it feels good to be part of something that is selfless because no matter what you do in life, there's a reward of some level. Everybody that's on, on fucking Instagram and they're on Facebook and they're videoing themselves giving somebody homeless $100 to do this and do that, they're getting gratitude out of it because they're getting self-recognition. You know that you can give to the society unanimously, unbeknownst to whom you are, and that is a selfless act because... I don't do anything for self-recognition. What I do, I do because I'm passionate about it. And I 
I was awarded something this year by the society, and I was fucking dumbfounded. Like, call a spade a spade. You look at the picture of me, and I look. <laughs> that like was a, awesome, man. You know, <laughs> that was a, so a, awesome. A deer in the headlights, and I didn't thank anybody. I didn't give a speech because I was speechless. It, it honest <laughs> to God, I was speechless, and I could have ran off on a big diatribe. But what's the point and purpose? Is that it just would have been words? You know, there's it it. Um, it was an honor to even be thought about being nominated for that that um, award, and and it meant so much to me to be awarded that award that it it means a lot. Um, so don't let my my lack of a speech or my lack of words at that particular point in time go as it was just water off a duck's back. No, it's not. I'm still speechless when it comes to it, and I I could probably go on for hours about how there's more deserving people than me, and because there is. There, there's a, a lot more deserving people than me that, that could get that award. But for, for being honored with that award, I do thank the society for that immensely. So that's that's my thank you speech. Dude, it was it was <laughs> epic. I was up there and um, so Corey, our president, was awarding it. And uh, I was just watching you. And you're like busy, like you're, you're just doing your thing at the table. And you're like, you're like, holy shit. You're like, you're like, it's starting to click. Right? You're like, oh, that. That sounds like something I may have done at some point, and like, and then and then all of a sudden it's just like you're like fuck, oh god, okay, that's me. <laughs> He's talking yeah. about. I was like that. That was the highlight of the night for me. Was watching your reaction. It was hilarious, man. Yeah, and it was believe it or not, it was Chloe that that smacked me because I was I was talking to Gray at the time, and it, not that I was I was. I was being dismissive of what was going on behind me because it, I'm, I'm very self-aware of what goes on around me, but I'm, Gray's a very engaging man. So when you're talking with Gray, you kind of give him his, your attention. And my daughter is beating on my arm and she's like, dad, this sounds like you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, this sounds like you. And she looks at me and then she just gets this ear to ear grin and she, and it clicked with her before it clicked with me. Cause as aware as I am, I'm, I'm a man. I'm relatively oblivious of different things, right? So, um, um, yeah, it, it it was very honoring, very much so. Um, well, much so. absolutely well-deserved, man. Um, yeah, just phenomenal what you do to support. And, you know, and some of those people that are listening were probably at, at the show and they, they probably got the whole speech. But the one thing about it is, like, this wasn't like oh let's just give the guy that donates the most an award that was it wasn't it at all like of course you donate a ton of stuff but it's all the other stuff that you do you know there's, and there's just the list goes on and on. I won't spend too much time talking about it tonight but it's uh, you know you don't get awards or recognition just by by writing a check it's like time treasure and talent and um, and you, you do all three of those things it's freaking awesome so pretty well it's a pretty cool man pretty Very cool much so. And you look at the guys that have won it, and to, to even be put in a class with somebody like Omer, you know, that, that man is, he is somebody that I just look up to with his time and, and with his generosity and with his donations. And, you know, he, when if you, could, if you could clone a man like Omer and you could clone his heart and you could put it into 50 people that had the drive that you and, and the volunteers have in this, there's, there's no failing this society. There's no failing this this industry, there's no failing the sheep. Is is that it? It's all about the sheep. No matter what, when it's all said and done, it's about sheep and it's about conservation. And it doesn't matter if it's dollars and cents. And and if a guy is lucky enough to to make enough money to be able to support a, a foundation and an initiative that that is passionate to him, is is it's not the dollars and cents. It's 
work smart, work hard. If you if you have to put boots to the mountain to help out, it it doesn't matter what it is. Time is money, and money is time, and nothing is worth more than one another. The the most important thing, and and like I said, time is my enemy. Where it it, it costs me, and where it's invaluable is is that it's time away from my kids and it's time away from my family um and to me that is invaluable in terms of of monetary value is that you know my time with my children is priceless and if i'm if i'm donating my time that's a massive thing when it comes to the society because i'm up there i i own a, a i own a multitude of businesses i mean i'm i'm extremely busy when it comes to my businesses and the society is something that is as important to me as my businesses and as important to me as my kids, because it's a family. I, you know, I love spending time talking to Kyle and talking to Omer and talking to every, to Greg and, you know, going to Reno was a fucking highlight. It was, you know, a getaway. It was a blast. And people that want to get involved passionately with something, I look at Rebecca and Colin and I look at how much they give of themselves. And it's such a selfless act of everything that they give and Greg and all of these people that give so much and and really they don't get a lot, but they get the knowledge of conservation and they see where their time is going and that's the gratification they get out of it. And that is what I aspire to. That's what I want to be able to say that I can give as much of my time like you guys do because you guys are the true heroes. Like, let's just call it a spade a spade. A guy can can do what I do and and we can we can give what we give, but time is priceless. And you guys, you guys sacrifice so much. And for that, I want to say thank you guys for what you do for the wild sheep of British Columbia. Thank you for the time that you sacrifice from your families. Thank you for the time you sacrifice for your kids because that is the true sacrifice. You guys are the ones that are are putting your lives, your time, your efforts into this society and to make this successful. So for that, thank you guys for what you do. Honestly. Right on, brother. Appreciate it. I think that's a good uh, good spot to wrap it up. And, uh, and, and yeah, you know, I'm with you. Three things, time, treasure, and talent. And you can do one, you can do two, you can do three. It doesn't really matter. And um, some people have things they can offer. It might be time, that might be talent, might be cash. But we need all three. All three is what yeah. makes conservation works. And if we take any one of those out, we're 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 in trouble, right? So totally. Um, and and we need them all. So awesome. And and you you're one of the guys that does all three. So we appreciate it. Well, thank you. And there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of great things. And there is. But if you can do just one thing, that's a good start. So let's let's just start there. Time, treasure, talent. So find what it is and get involved so we can use you awesome that's true appreciate you brother thank you awesome appreciate you thank you much have a good one have a good night guys